Okay, Turnpiker listeners, uh, you've got Luke and Danny for the first time in what is about three weeks short of a year. I think we posted it three weeks short of a year, so we probably recorded it over a year ago. Yeah, so it's been it's been a year. We've needed to take some time off. We did about 10 episodes, and it really just wore us down tremendously. So we've taken some time off. This is about the probably about the 10th time we've attempted to get together to, to record another session. And this time we're, we're doing it from, from Austin, from South by Southwest uh, here in, uh, on the, what are we, March 12th. So uh, we, we've made a little recording studio here in my Airbnb in, in Austin. And uh, Danny came over. And so we're gonna try to um, put together an hour of catching up. Usually this show is about about interviewing folks uh, in Denver and Boulder, generally in the very loose tech space. Uh, but we're gonna take some time here to, uh, to just catch up with one another. Uh, and I think Danny's been doing a lot of interesting stuff that I think folks would like to hear about. So we're gonna talk for a little bit about work-related stuff, ask each other some questions about a lot of the work changes that the, the, the two of us have been involved with. Um, gonna talk a little bit about uh, what we've been up to in our personal lives over the last year, some Denver Boulder trends stuff and, and transactions and interactions that we've seen, observations that we've seen in Denver Boulder over the last uh, over the last year, and uh, and take it from there, and then we'll close out by talking about some of the things we've done here at South by Southwest that have been um, interesting and intriguing for us. What am I missing? That that's a good recap. Let's do it. All right, you want to fire away? You kick it off. Sure. Um, am I talking about myself or am I asking you? Why don't you ask me, you ask me some questions and I'll ask you the same question or something different. Sounds perfect. Right. So I think uh, last time uh, we were recording here, you had a, a different uh, different job uh, yep. working for a different company. Uh, tell us uh, what, uh, what changed on that front. Yeah, so uh, I guess this time last year I was still at what, what is now... Verizon's media side of the house, which is, which is, as everybody knows now, or maybe they don't know, is called Oath. Uh, and I was uh, running a lot of the media brands there and, and traveling all over the country, working with all the different media, comp- media companies within that organization, whether it's TechCrunch or Engadget or Makers or Huffington Post or working on various media operations within that company and uh, and had really spent a good bit of my time working on the Yahoo acquisition. I was going to ask about that. So you were involved in that? Yeah. Very cool. Uh, which was very strange to 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 acquire the company that acquired my company. Right. Not even, you know, what, five or six years after the company had acquired my company. Yep. So um, I think, you know, that was surreal. So I was going back to Sunnyvale. Were you working with some of the people that had done yep. your deal? Yep. Interesting. Yep. And and uh, you know, I think in Verizon's attempt to really get to scale um, across consumer content and consumer media, a logical land grab for them at scale is is somebody like Yahoo, yep. um, which is certainly a a declining uh, brand as the media world sort of fragments and goes away from big portal experiences and. But there's a lot of different brands within that company, and you know that the you know Yahoo. You you could say what you want about Yahoo, but at the end of the day, in a given month, somewhere near a third of all eyeballs in the U.S. land on on Yahoo. Crazy. So it's it's a big scale operation. So I think with so it's still a smart move on uh, Verizon's part to roll these things up. I think so. I think if you're in the scale business, which sure. which they are, you know, I think people don't people can't imagine. 
somebody's motivation behind acquiring something like Yahoo. But when you're in the land grab space, you know, that's, that's where you end up if you're not going to acquire Google or Facebook or, or something like that. So, so I think it's a, that's a big, um, maybe not the most edgy, engaging content in the world. Um, but there's a lot of utility and a lot of registered users at Yahoo. People have Yahoo Finance and they play Yahoo Sports and they do all these different utility things. And I think for, for Verizon, it's about, it's about the concept of selling you the phone, selling you the data plan, and then you are you, you really consuming content that they also own. You know, the content business isn't a great business, but it can be a pretty good business if you sold the phone and the, and the plan and the videos you watch are owned by you. Uh, you, can, you can make a different kind of business out of it. So, uh, so I worked on that and then I uh, got myself feeling like I didn't really want to keep working on that sort of stuff. So I kind of let, uh, let the folks at Verizon and, uh, know that as soon as there was a good time for me to exit stage left, I wanted to do that. Um, and that for me was more, not because I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't having a good time, but I was really getting tired of the travel. You know, I've been spending much of the last 15 years either in New York or in Silicon Valley, and that wasn't going to change. So I um, wanted to take uh, take like six months off. And were you able to do that? Yeah, it was great. <clears throat> yeah, um, took the family to, to Africa with my, my parents, really organized an amazing trip to go to Africa. Went to Botswana and South Africa with the family and, you know, did a, did a lot of fishing, rode my bike four hours a day. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. You ship a bike there? No, I didn't ship a bike there because there was a lot of planned activities with my parents. <laughs> okay. So I, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't, I didn't do a lot of biking down there, but I, uh, I rode in a lot of Land Rovers and saw go. a lot of animals. I can tell you that. Awesome. The big five. Is that what they call them? Yeah, yeah. we saw all the big five except for the, uh, the, uh, the buffalo. That's the one everybody wants to see. And Everybody else in my family saw it, but I did. I think I might have been uh, snoozing in the back of a van. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was really uh, a good, uh, awesome break for me. That's um, great. And I really wanted to uh, take plenty of time to look at uh, my next move. I really wanted to do really, really two things. One, find something local in Denver. I mean, the the travel game was just really murder on the on my family and murder on just so exhausting when you're evaluating what's next like are you are you literally writing up pros and cons of, of the different opportunities the different options or how did you kind of come to decide what was going to be next after after the six month break well uh you know m- most of the stuff that kind of came over the transom for me was you know stuff at big companies which almost inevitably required a lot of travel mm-hmm. and i didn't sort of eliminate those options i think um without looking into them but I, but the prospects of doing that were, were not good wasn't really feeling that i would say uh, you know i was I, w- I felt like i was either going to work at that kind of scale again the big big company with a lot of reach and a big brand or or do something you know definitely early stage but um but the the, the real parameters that i set up for myself were along with that um I also wanted to work, I've always been for the last dozen years working in content, right? Media, uh, whether it was associated content or the stuff at Yahoo that I worked on or the stuff at, at Verizon that I worked on, you know, you're dealing with, you know, the two sides of the coin of content and ads, you know, news information in, you know, whatever vertical and then trying to monetize that, you know, having big editorial staffs and, and covering whether it's tech or sports or news or finance 
health and wellness, whatever, and then trying to monetize that content. And you know, what I realized is it's just a terrible business model. And if you're the person or one of the people who's running something like that, it's just so difficult because making it work and delivering revenue, which is essentially what everything's all about. I mean, everybody thinks media is fun and engaging and covering things is being, being in the news business, being in the content business is fun, engaging. You meet the best people. You're covering the most edgy stories. You're at the edge of everything that's going on, but the business models are so tough, you know, and, 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 you know, you can run, you know, a big consumer content brand. And even if you're just doing all the things you can do, right? News, long tail content, video, social, events, all these sorts of things. You're just struggling to make the ends meet all the time. And, and it's actually required. You need humans for all of that right, constantly and right. constantly new, new fresh batch of people to be working on all that kind of stuff. So it's a never ending kind yeah. of cycle. And as much as you want to, you know, use, you know, modern tools like AI and automation to create content, you know, you can't beat high quality editorial and high quality editorial is expensive. Um, and then, you know, running ads against that and trying to monetize it, it's just difficult. And branded content's tough. Everything about it's tough. So I really wanted to work on something that had a business model where whether I could pull it off or not, definitely not, not, not the known thing, but, but the prospects of that business model would be something that that would work. You know, whereas if we built something where, um, where if we executed, we would have a good business on our hands. Um, and so that the travel thing was one, the trying to not be in a traditional online media business was one. Um, and then the other one was building something and being involved in something that had, had a good experience for all of the constituencies involved in it. You know, um, on the content side, one of the hard parts of that is that there really is always somebody that you're trying to displace all the time. You're, you're or, or, or you're, or you're taking advantage of somebody having a negative situation. Like you create great content, create a video series, but you're having to insert all these ads and nobody wants them. And the advertiser, you're trying to convince them that's a great experience, but you know, it's not a great experience. And you know, the consumer doesn't like the ads. And, um, and, uh, and I think subscription content is, is certainly the future, but, but that's, that's a long way down the road. Uh, right now that's reserved for the New York times, wall street journal, Netflix, those kinds of folks, mm -hmm. but for broad consumer content, um, it's just hard. And then a lot of content, you're not, you're not paying editorial the way they need to get paid. There's just, it's just, it's really hard. You can't keep all the constituencies happy, right? If you have great content and no ads, you're not making any money. If you have a ton of ads, you're, you're really frustrating the consumer. So I wanted to work on something that was every constituency involved in it would be just think it was awesome. And so those were, those were my three parameters, but I also wasn't in any rush to find it, find something. Um, and, uh, and I spent a lot of time, you know, mentoring folks, helping out with different people and, you know, advising people on some new projects and new investments and um, different folks in, in town. So that's kind of how I spend my time. So what, uh, you've got, <clears throat> so Brand Folders, the, the, the company you've, uh, you created and are mm -hmm. now the, uh, the, the, the CEO of, but there's a, you weren't the, the founding CEO. Right. Um, um, how did it go from, you know, kind of those decisions to what you're doing now? And uh, also what's a you know, kind of a quick uh, background on the history of Brand Folder, where that came from, yep. um, how you ended up uh, coming back to that and, and really growing it to, to, to where it is now. Right. So um, 
Brand Folder is something that Chris Gloday, who, who was actually on this show, when one of our first guests on the show, Chris um, ran product at Map My Run, Map My Ride, and all those kinds of things. If anybody wants information about Chris, they can listen to that episode. I don't know what number that is, but uh, but Chris and I came to uh, came to get Brand Folder started because when I was at Yahoo and he was at Under Armour, uh, we both realized that we were now at startups. We, we'd been at startups that didn't have brand. And when you're at a startup, that's the one thing that I think you kind of really wish you could have because brand gives you a lot of access uh, for a multitude of reasons. And, uh, and everybody would like to think that they can develop brand as a startup and, and great startups do. Uh, but, uh, but we were both at these big companies. Yahoo is a brand company and Under Armour is a brand company, right? And when we both got there at these new big companies uh, that had brand, we realized that while they talked about brand and they assigned enormous value to brand, the brand was the most unkept part of the business. Um, you know, they had all their customers in the CRM, they had all their employees and HR platforms, they had all of their IP and platforms, they had all of these cloud platforms that, that really managed huge parts of the business that had value. Um, but yet the brand was all over the place. And when I was at Yahoo, I mean, they had just spent a couple million dollars on a rebrand and everybody was just thrilled with it, but yet you couldn't find anything. You didn't know where, where the audio files were that described this or the, or the uh, fonts and colors and the sort of ingredient parts of the brand were not accessible. The, you know, the white papers and all of the things that built the brand in every format, audio, video, text, and images were spread all over and you had to, contact the right designer or the right agency to get all that sort of stuff. And it just seemed to me like there was this huge opportunity to put brand on a platform. Uh, and Chris really felt the same way. Uh, and so we talked about it all the time. And then we finally decided that we would, you know, we both had jobs that we weren't leaving anytime soon, but we saw a real opportunity to build a SaaS platform for, for brand, brand asset management. So um, Paul and Brian Parks were two guys in town who are always bugging Chris and I for jobs. And so we, we told those guys like, here's a, here's a really good thing. And we had tons of notes about it and all that sort of stuff. And he said, he, you know, here's a, here's, a, here's a business that you could try to get into. And I don't know what it could turn into be, but Chris and I will give you guys some money and you can get this thing started. And so they just started whacking away at it, you know, and we kind of met on the weekends and stuff and got that thing going. Um, and they did a really great job with that. It just standing up a real good MVP product with not a ton of seed money um, and grew that into a, a good, good business where they had, you know, they were basically allowing brands to come in, load all of their, at this point, really basic brand assets into a publicly facing brand folder where if you wanted mankind to have access to your brand, you could load all your stuff in there. It didn't matter what file format it was, didn't matter um, the size of the files or anything like that, but you could load all those things, the people, the products, the logos, all of the stuff that you have that, that really build your brand into, into one place. And they did a great job with that and built this MVP and got a bunch of customers putting their credit card in and licensing it on a, a yearly basis. A real simple, clean SaaS business. And they grew that for a couple of years and did, did an amazing job. And there was enough inbound from big enterprises who said, hey, listen, I love what you guys are doing, but 
we need a lot of bigger enterprise features. Uh, we need this to not be available to public. We need all of these sort of unique, kind of more complicated features and functions that we sort of saw coming. Um, and we're starting to be more ubiquitous in the creative space. So, you know, we decided to bring in um, a little bit of more money and get Steve Baker, who had known for years and years, really good friends with Chris growing up. And he's like the best SaaS salesperson around. He was also one of another one of the angel investors in the company. And he was running a, uh, a sales operation down in Australia. And he'd sort of said that he wanted to come back to this. So we're like, well, let's see if we can get Steve to come and really kind of take the next step with this business, hire us a big SaaS sales team, work on enterprise features, build a product team and really grow this thing. And so Steve was game for it. So he came and joined the team in Denver, um, which at that point was probably like five or six people full time. They were over in Laundry on Lawrence at that time. And, uh, and really, you know, start building enterprise features that were more around what we call digital asset man or brand asset man. And, uh, and so that's kind of how that, that next step happened. And Steve just, Steve had the biggest task in the world, which was strike, see if you can pivot the, not pivot the product, but just add to the product and make it something you could charge a lot more for and, and get big, big enterprise customers to sign up for it. Try to get the company cash flow positive and we're not gonna give you that much more money to do that. And, uh, and Steve uh, and, and the team really did an incredible job of just, you know, not only getting to the market in the right place, but building like a super creative, unique version um, of a way for brands to start thinking about brand on platform. So he grew that for a couple of years. Um, and I mean, I, I never thought that without raising a lot more money that he could get both the customers and get the company to cash flow positive. I had never thought that was possible. I knew that it would keep growing and I knew that it would be a cool thing. And as the tool was, even in its most basic form, was very clean, very simple, very intuitive, very useful. Um, and we had great customers. Um, but then we looked up after Steve had been there for a couple of years and, you know, we had, you know, big customers on Slack and Salesforce, and, you know, uh, Facebook and a lot of food and beverage people and a lot of pro sports teams and all these people Steve had just gotten out there and, and really got them on the platform and got them using it. And for most of them, that was, you know, they'd never thought about that. They'd never thought about, you know, moving their stuff into something more sophisticated than just having their files in a Dropbox or something. So, so then I, I came along, quit my job and Steve, um, the day I quit my job, Steve took me out to lunch. He's like, all right, so let's figure out how we're going to get you to start working on brand folder full time. And I, I told him, I said, listen, I'm, I'm going to take some time off, but I'm happy to help you as much as I can. And as you know, I'm endlessly dedicated to, to brand folder and will always be, you know, a person who you can count on and board member and all that sort of stuff. And then really the conversations just evolved with, you know, Chris and Justin and the board and management about just coming on and working with Steve. You know, I think Steve's um, working with Steve is probably the, the number Steve and the whole team was really the main reason why I wanted to do it because it, it also checked all the boxes that I mentioned before about being local, not having to travel a bunch, having a completely different business model, which this does. Um, and one that I think is, is workable if we execute, um, I think, uh, you know, I, I would be certainly adding to the traction. I think any traction the company had is due to Steve and the team, not, not due to me. So I sort of jumped in and I've been just trying to, you know, Steve's a very, you know, 
sales focused, revenue generating, you know, person. And I'm really more of an operations partnerships, business development, um, community driving kind of thing. So I think we, we work great together. Um, and so that was really the logic behind it. That's awesome. And what's the, uh, uh, I mean, for this one, you kind of started off as something that you saw a need for in the marketplace. You created it. It started to work. Um, it continues to work. Is this something you guys are, are, uh, uh, I mean, you see kind of just, that you're going to stick with through an acquisition. Uh, I mean, how, how big does this thing get? You know, I have no idea. Uh, we raised some money after I got there. So I raised, um, thought it was good to, you know, Steve had the company at a really safe cash flow positive place where, you know, I felt like, you know, we could strategically raise money. Mm. You know, I think if you're, if you're, if you're generating revenue, raising money is a lot easier. Um, so you don't have to give away the farm to, to get the resources. But on the same note, this whole space that we're in of brand on platform, digital asset management is really growing. And our competitors that that are sort of doing the same thing that we're doing, most of them are doing it very differently. Mm-hmm. They all have obscene amounts of hundreds of employees and, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars, and even up to a company like Adobe, which has something kind of similar to what we have. So I felt like having some capital so that we could really go after things a little bit more aggressively, uh, both on the hiring front on the partnership front and the integrations front and all that sort of stuff I thought was important. I, I don't know what, I, I don't know. I mean, my, I think Steve and I, our goal from a strategic perspective is to always have the company in a position where if we want to raise more money, we could do that. If we want to cash flow the business, we could do that. If we want to merge it with another company, we could do that. If we want to sell it, we could do that. Like, I think it's, I don't know. I have no ideas. I think it can be, I know it will be, I know the space will be huge. I'm very, I think all of the signals are there that, um, that companies are starting to not just talk about brand a lot, but have a, a higher level thinking around it other than just sort of brand sentiment. And I think our brand's great. And I think there's a halo around our brand. And I think our brand resonates with these people, but putting some more, some more um, math and science behind that and thinking about brand the way they think about things that are in, you know, like the way they look at their customers in a CRM, you know, I think that's, that's the direction that we're going. So I think sky's the limit. Uh, I don't, the only thing I can tell you, it'd be very hard to IPO the company. But other than that, I think sky's the limit, sure. you know. Um, and we have a lot of work to do. Though. And you definitely structured it to, to kind of meet any of those objectives or, or outcomes that you uh, that you outlined, like being able to go after any of the ways. So, I mean, kind of a, um, you know, with your experience, with your history, uh, with the team's history, you guys were able to really create uh, something that is is exactly what you want to, uh, where you want it to be, where you want it to go, and can give you guys all the optionality there. Um, from a from a fundraising perspective, it sounds like that was pretty uh, pretty easy. You guys went out. I mean, did you guys go the traditional VC route, private money, um, top secret? Don't have to, it's to, not, to yeah, jump it's into not, any of it. It's definitely not top secret. Um, yeah, I wanted to just have a very narrow fundraising process, which is more kind of seeing what our options were. Um, we didn't, we weren't in a situation where we had to raise money. Um, so I, you know, I kind of just exposed my network to the opportunity um, and kind of put a put a really a kind of a 60, 70, 80 day kind of beginning, middle and end to that process. So really uh, introduced it to you know, VCs, mostly traditional VCs, but of all different 
shapes, sizes, and colors for sure uh, within my network where I didn't have to really embark on a lot of new conversations with people um, and uh, kind of went down the road of, I think I had a preference. Steve and I felt like it was important. And I do, like I think for most Denver companies, I think it's, if you can raise money um, on one of the coasts, I think it helps just from an exposure perspective. Um, but we also met with local VCs as well um, and uh, kind of introduced it to it, did some very kind of not so uh, complicated, um, presented the opportunity to folks. Steve and I was very kind of a closed process. And then Jim, who runs product with us, also participated quite a bit. You know, met with probably 10 VCs. God, I think we got four terms. We really kind of wrapped it up quickly. Um, we ended up raising money from uh, from a Sand Hill Road, Silicon Valley VC called Telescope Partners, which is run by a guy named Mickey, who I had known from Sequoia, and he'd been a partner at Sequoia and was getting ready to start a SaaS-only um, growth stage fund. And so uh, this was very much in his wheelhouse. It was a five to six million dollar round. So I think from a value and amount raised perspective, it worked for him. Uh, they ended up wanting the whole round. So um, other than shoehorning service provider capital folks and for just a little bit, they own the whole round. Congrats. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Although, I've, I mean, that was, you know, that was done sort of soon after I arrived. So it was the, the our ability to raise money had very little to do with me and had more to do with what Steve and everybody else had accomplished before I got there. But, um, but yeah, it was great. It was a quick, easy process. Um, I think now, um, I think there's a lot of money out there right now. So I, I credit it to the work that Steve and everybody did and with just climate right now, sure. I think there's money to be raised, especially if you have a business that has a proven business model, you're not working on product market fit and all that. Sort of. So yeah, it's great. And you came by our new office, so you've sort of seen the latest. Absolutely, yeah. Great office, great new space, amazing views. I'm definitely jealous, you know, get a get a little desk over in your, uh, in your building. Yeah, we're in... Uh, in the new Zeppelin station in Rhino on 35th and Wazee. Uh, so anybody who wants to come by and check that out, there's a great food court situation on the first floor and then light rails right there. And it's a very unique urban spot. I and mean, we're up on the third floor. So. And uh, every lunch last week, uh, Zeppelin's hanging out each, each of the new spots. There's two bars, I think six restaurants. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing. Uh, so let's, let's, switch this over and, and talk more about your situation. So um, when we last uh, talked, Roximity was uh, really just exploring its options. Um, you had had people come sniffing around to potentially buy the company. You had the opportunity to raise more money uh, and you pretty well narrowed in on what it was that you guys did well in the location-based services. So what, what happened from there in sort of March, April? Yeah, so we, uh, um, as you mentioned, we had a few different opportunities. We had a, uh, an early, an early uh, uh, partner of ours come, um, they're more on the hardware side, come and uh, make, a, make a, you know, kind of general, uh, general offer uh, to buy the company. Um, we had, of course, kind of thought about it, but not to any specifics and didn't really have any uh, real uh, thoughts around it. Um, so that was kind of in, in late, late in 2015, late in 2015. So that was kind of when that, that, that process started and, and that kind of triggered us to, uh, you know, kind of reach out to some of our other, other, um, other partners, other uh, customers and some other 
businesses that we thought we'd uh, make a good fit um, with. And so we... Uh, were most of those ones who knew about you? Yes. And, yeah. Yep. Yep. So we had some sort of relationship with, uh, with them. We were already either uh, working with them, kind of powering their, their platforms, um, or uh, working on data uh, relationships. Um, so... Uh, Why don't you real quick just remind us of, in case people don't know exactly yep. what Roxanne... Absolutely. Does. So, yep. Uh, so, Roximity is a location-based intelligence uh, platform. We uh, have uh, SDKs. We have code that goes into uh, different mobile apps. So, customers like Starbucks integrate our our code into their apps, and then we're able to provide really detailed location information back to those uh, partners about where their users are going. So. Uh, you know, at a, at a macro scale, what types of locations they're going to, like uh, sporting venues or, or uh, restaurants, um, uh, museums, things like that. Um, and then in locations where we have these hardware beacons that we created, uh, they're little Bluetooth, battery-operated Bluetooth beacons that are placed in and around locations, uh, you know, at an aisle, at a uh, cash register, at an entrance, um, and we're able to get detailed information about where people are spending time inside of physical locations. So, uh, you know, some of our big customers are, are in the, the grocery space, um, movie, uh, movie theaters, um, a lot of quick serve uh, restaurants as well. So we kind of had some different opportunities with different people in the overall space. So uh, being able to uh, could go down the, the pure tech side, um, the advertising side, the uh, mapping and data side, um, and so had uh, basically different partners uh, from each of those different constituents um, uh, that we had uh, some initial term sheets from. Um, we whittled, whittled it down uh, fairly quickly to uh, two different uh, two different companies that we thought we would um, uh, be able to really grow um, within because we were, as, as you mentioned, we were either looking to fundraise or sell uh, to get to the scale that we were looking for. And the fundraising route was was going fine, but you know we definitely were 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 signing up for something that was going to require a lot of uh, a lot of cash um, and a lot of growth. And some of these companies that we were looking to uh, potentially get acquired by um, already had some of that that scale and, and that monetary backing to help accelerate that. Um, and you know, kind of just uh, really nice. How um, many people were on the team at this point? So there were just nine of us still, um, yeah. and that that was what it was at acquisition. So nine of us at acquisition, um, and we uh, ended up going with a company called Verve. Um, uh, they're a long time location-based advertising company. We had been powering a number of their uh, local uh, local apps um, with some of our technology, um, and we really loved the uh, the the CEO, the founder, um, founders, um, and really kind of the the big vision of, of what they were doing, um, and it would have and would allow us to. Uh, Grow what we were, what we had created. Um, so they're headquartered in uh, uh, New York and uh, Carlsbad, and uh, so we, we like to visit those those offices as well. So figured it was a, a the right the right choice, um, and uh, we're uh, fortunate enough to have a fantastic um, you know uh, exit um, for ourselves and our and our investors and. Uh, it was uh, you know we, we didn't raise too much money so we didn't have to uh, hit any kind of crazy hurdles to get there which was nice with the um, yep. you know adding the the round that we were raising would have put us at you know at, at five 
five times you know, uh, what we would need to, or what we, uh, uh, where we were at, which would have then led to another you know, potentially 10x on top of that for returns for the investors. And so, you know, uh, but you know, kind of going the, the, we just did a, went through the A round, we're able to uh, get a good multiple on what we had raised and everyone was stoked. So we, um, we uh we we just hit the the just a little bit over the the or i guess we're over 18 months of the actual deal um at this point so we hit all hit the earnout the uh kind of uh stay uh stay bonuses all of that kind of stuff um for the for the company and uh and uh yeah it's really interesting to be on uh you know go, go through that whole process so i mean we kind of we we kicked the company off way back in the day at, at a hackathon so we founded We'd been wanting to work on this thing. We knew it was a really cool idea. Um, so we went to the uh, TechCrunch Disrupt Hackathon uh, way back in 2011. We won that, which gave us the uh, kind of the, the, uh, the talking points and the, the, the backing to then raise money. We launched at CES, went through uh, Techstars um, in Boulder, um, raised more money, um, ran the business, got big customers, found some acquirers, exited, uh, did the earnout, and uh, you know it's kind of that whole that whole end to end story that you uh, that you read about, and, and uh, all pretty uh, all all pretty you know all obviously huge ups and downs, but but a really great experience to go through it. That's a very um, textbook sequencing for sure. Definitely, yeah. I mean that's as a that's about as standard. Yeah. I mean I think. You yeah, know, I always people ask me all the time, like, how do all these things go? And I'm usually like, well, whatever you read about is probably not the way it'll go, but that's not the case with you guys. Yeah, and obviously we had lots of twists and turns, and sure. you know, I mean, we 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 had times where we certainly weren't paying. You know, uh, me and Austin as the as the founders weren't paying ourselves for long periods of time, and you know, all of that kind of stuff, um, ups and downs, and and through all of that. But at the end, you know, very much uh, uh, kind of went the went the kind of textbook route. And uh, what was pretty cool is uh, soon after our acquisition, the uh, Verve was looking to do some acquisitions, uh, some additional acquisitions. So I got to go and you know be on on that side. Um, so got to uh, you know really go through all the due diligence uh, and uh, really dive into uh, a lot of these companies that we have either acquired or or passed on. But it was really neat to to very immediately go back to be into on the that. buy side. Yeah. Yeah, it was, great. it was very great. Um, one thing you talked about, um, or at least you you alluded to, is um, is this idea, and you and I have talked about it before on the show, is that you don't always necessarily want a higher valuation, and that valuations um, can get to a point where you can't get out of under them. Absolutely. And yep. and so, w- what did you? How did that play? How did that play itself out? Yeah. So our our biggest competitor um, and most direct competitor, not just biggest because they had raised the most. They were the biggest because it's who we kept going up against uh, out in the market. Um, they had they were a company inside of Qualcomm, and they were you know somewhere around fifty to hundred million dollars of of investment internally, kind of leading up to this, and then they. Got they spun that company out um, and raised about a hundred million dollars um, as as their funding for that, um, and so us um, looking at that scale and those types of numbers to 
go out and raise to you know kind of continue down again down that path that would have put us at a whole you know kind of next level scale which you know if we're raising let's say you know 15 to 20 million would have been our that next round size is right around where we would have needed to be so you know uh, you know, with a hundred something million dollar valuation, um, which is, you know, kind of, uh, you know, it still would have been smaller than, than where they were at, but where we would have needed to be. But then you're looking at, at, uh, you know, you want to get the, the investors a 10x value or 10x exit, all that kind of stuff. And in the space and in the market, like that's just not realistic. I mean, a billion dollar, uh, exit for, for, for something like this. I mean, you know, we would have had to very much grow, add all sorts of additional everything. And, and you were a very pure play. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to say that we're, uh, you know, a, a, you know, feature rather than a company, all that kind of stuff. But we, we kind of put ourselves in and we were powering segments of, of other people's kind of overall businesses. So there is definitely, a, there definitely is a standalone uh, product and, and, you know, very much kind of end-to-end tools and things like that for certain subsets. But really what we are is a, uh, an element that then gets incorporated into other, other pieces of, of things. So our SDK gets plopped into other apps and we're powering, you know, the location uh, intelligence part of, of what they're up to. So, you know, even just being realistic, like we're not going to get a, you know, billion dollar valuation on, on something like this, or even, you know, even half a billion, but being a part of a big, uh, uh, ad agency, location-based ad agency, you know, big track record, probably one of the, uh, you know, or definitely the longest in the, in the space, being able to go be a part of that. Then we, you know, as an, as a overall entity are getting you know, more into those types of number, multiple hundred dollars in valuation. That's, you know, that's the type of company we would have had to create with, uh, uh, with raising money, um, but which would have certainly put us uh, as competitors against our potential acquirers and, you know, not, not a great reason to go that route, um, you know, and, and not to say that, that that couldn't have been done, but I think that we made a good, good decision on, on uh, when and why and how we, uh, we wrap things up. And and you're there till you're not there at this point. Yeah, yeah. So we we hit our earnout. We are you know we've done done a full uh, integration. Uh, we had an 18 month uh, kind of lockup. We've got some pretty pretty nice uh, uh, bonuses at the two year mark if we can uh, you know if we can stick around. Um, and uh, you know I think the 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 founder um, and uh, uh, current CEO of, of Verve. Um, I, I think he knows that we're uh, we're entrepreneurs at heart and. Um, we'll definitely be looking to do, uh, you know, something else, um, at some point. Um, so yeah, I think that, you know, and, and even, you know, truthfully asking, you know, how kind of, how you went through that thought process of, 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 uh, you know, kind of deciding what's next and, uh, yeah, we'll be there in the future. Okay. Let's, let's, uh, let's change, um, courses here and start talking about some of the things that have happened, uh, in the Denver Boulder situation since our last, um, get together in in a few sentences uh, what's most interesting to you I, I i will say that if maybe us not running the show makes it so more things happen because <laughs> everything that i feel like i dreamed of happening uh over the last five years has happened in the last six months but uh i'll get to that but from your perspective yeah. uh what has gone down that uh positive or negative has has given you uh yeah, the, I mean, big stuff. Uh, you know, I think a lot of these big tech companies are are setting up 
big shops here. I mean, really, uh, you know, sizable uh, employee employment from some of these guys, 500 plus employees per company. Would we have like Slack and Market? I mean, or uh, Marketo, Marketo. Um, Strava, Strava. Yeah, I mean, all these all these big guys are 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 setting up. You know, very sizable uh, locations here. Um, to accommodate that, we've got what five WeWorks in Denver, two going in in Boulder. Uh, uh, galvanize industry, uh, the Zeppelin properties. I mean, all of this just amazing office space. I mean, that's all on the you know kind of startup creative side. Obviously, there's all the more traditional hundreds of thousands or millions of, of square feet going in downtown. I mean, our city is covered in cranes. That was, that was kind of starting, I guess, when we were last doing this, but that has exploded. Um, SendGrid went public. Uh, that was amazing to see, you know, Isaac up there after, uh, after uh, seeing their pitches at uh, Techstars 10 years ago or whatever it was, maybe not even that long. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean that's the that's the quick uh, the quick rundown that I can think of on the on the positive side, um, you know, in that time, yeah. housing and pr- just general living prices have increased uh, uh, pretty dramatically uh, at the at the same time. But the um, the amazing thing for me is, and I, I haven't been somebody. I mean, I guess ideally I would love to see these mezzanine level companies come out of, uh, of our own startup situation. Um, that largely has not happened. Um, but, but I don't think the fact that they're moving here is, is a problem. I just think that the very fact that we have the kind of companies that are going to have a significant outpost or headquarters here matters. I think that the, they're spread between Denver and Boulder just the way you'd want them to be spread. I think that the number of jobs that they're bringing is is uh, non-trivial. I think sometimes we see people post up with small segments of office, maybe a sales organization uh, or something like that. But uh, we're seeing whether it's companies like Strava moving, wholly moving out here uh, to Colorado or we're in Austin right now, but in Denver. Uh, and um, in bringing you know, that kind of talent here, I think is meaningful. From the conversations that I've had with those, those folks, and I talked to some of those folks, um, they were sending out their exploratory teams to try to figure out what the prospects would look like if they were to move out here. You know, the thing that, that Denver Boulder has that so few other cities have is people will move here, you know, and you just can't afford to build um, a 500 person office if people can't move, you know. And uh, when you talk to some of these folks, uh, that's why they came out here. They came out here because they know that they can get people to move out here, um, whether it's existing employees relocating or just hiring new employees. And I think, um, you know, I think that that's, that's, a, that's really an amazing thing to think about. And they were talking to me about all these other opportunities, and it's probably some of the same conversation that Amazon's having. Uh, but, uh, you know, can you get people to move to, to the Bay Area right now? Uh, housing is almost impossible. Um, so you're going to have to get people that only currently live out there. Uh, can you get people to move to Dallas, Houston, Kansas City, DC, New York? You know, it's it's hard. You know, I think when you think about if you're the, the global head of HR for a big tech company that's going to require um, super educated uh, employees to to move around. Um, it's interesting to think about the list of, of cities that where people will move to is is short. You know, I think 
where we are now in Austin is, 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 is probably one of them, but I don't think there's many of them. You mentioned uh, Amazon. We're uh, as of this recording still on the uh, on the list for HQ two. Um, my personal thought is that we're it's probably not very likely. But what is your uh, what's your opinion? Do, would you, would, do you want something like that in 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 Denver, or does that kill everything else that we were just talking about? Um, I don't know enough about it. Uh, I don't know enough of the details about it. I think that that you there's going to be. Um, you know, there, there, there's going to be the good with the bad. It, it, for, for whatever reason, it sounds like the Olympic bid to me. You know, uh, I think you have people who think that that's just exactly what you need. And then I think there's educated people who think it's exactly what you don't need. Um, I think it would be pretty impossible to um, predict uh, the, uh, the, what, the, what the advantages are, what will be of something like that, or uh, the, the big costs that we would incur because of that. I think that, you know, I think you can't be a big, consider yourself um, a global city um, with a meaningful tech scene without those kinds of anchor tenants. So I think if you say that you don't want Amazon here, then that means you probably don't want to be that. Because I think whether it would be Amazon or, or, or anybody else for that matter, um, they're all going to come with that kind of luggage. So I, I think it's hard to have your cake and eat it too. Sure. But a, a, a rapid 50,000 person deployment into a, into a city is definitely different than a, you know, a, a more of a natural growth curve probably. And yeah. I guess you know, there's probably a, a case that it's not going to be all immediate anyway, but it still sounds pretty dramatic versus you know, kind of either growing our own, uh, having some of these like, kind of smaller companies grow to, or smaller footprints grow into these bigger ones. Yeah, it's, uh, it sounds, that sounds like a pretty big burden for, for most cities to be able to absorb something like that. The one thing that's interesting to me about Amazon from an opportunity perspective is I think that that workforce is pretty diverse. You know, I, and I think yep. you could get a lot of companies out here where they would be wanting a lot of the same people. Um, you know, when you think about automakers and some of these other folks, like that, if they were to come with that many jobs, they would all be a lot like the other jobs that that company has. I think Amazon is unique in the sense that I think there is a, that workforce will be a pretty diverse workforce. You know, I think that there's going to be, um, uh, all sorts of skills required for those jobs. I think that all there's going to be all sorts of expertise involved. So I think there's not many people like that, not many companies like that that could move to Denver that would, or Boulder or wherever, Denver Metro, that would bring the diversity of jobs that they would bring. Um, Very good. Not point. just all logistics jobs or all engineers or 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 all manufacturing. Or I think it's going to be a big mix, which I think is cool. Um, uh, so that's one thing that I think is is an advantage. I suspect if if you looked at um, like companies of that size that could move here, I suspect they would be at the top of the list of diverse types of jobs. So I think that's a that's very that's good. Yeah, very good point. That's an advantage. Um, what else is interesting that's that's happened from your perspective? What else? I mean, from a technology perspective, I think uh, you know, Bitcoin and blockchain were were something you know some some people were playing around with here and there. I certainly uh, got in extremely early and have been playing around, but I think it's has erupted in the at least in the uh, the minds of uh, of of everyone these days. Uh, that's probably a pretty big uh, technological uh, advancement. Um, and uh, uh, hey, listeners, we've got some pretty cool 
uh, future guests on that uh, that we'll be bringing in. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that that's that's probably the next biggest uh, wave of uh, uh, along with uh, you know kind of AI and machine learning uh, type tech as far as you know kind of these next level big shifts in things. Um, uh, yeah, I think another thing is just you know I think we're starting to see um, a real you know as much as we're talking about Amazon these big big operations I, I, you're really starting to see these direct to consumer technology. Uh, arrangements for e-commerce and um, and content and also and even in fintech with um, blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies uh, you know I think it's we're starting to see this idea that you know maybe as we think about all these companies growing maybe none of them ever get really that big you know you're looking at these apparel technology companies consumer electronics and half of the market is, is owned now by brands that have under a hundred SKUs, you know, uh, small content companies, small e-commerce companies, small technology companies, and they don't, the, the way things are, the way the platforms are working and how accessible they are, these direct to consumer operations that in all levels are just becoming a thing. Um, you know, it's, you don't need to have, uh, you know, hundreds of SKUs and, uh, hundreds of different, um, types of, whether it's content or platforms or whatever, I think all these things are becoming, you're starting to see big businesses are just businesses that are, that are actually small business. Um, and, uh, and that's the most interesting thing to me, especially in the world that we work in and brand, you know, there's, there are obviously big, huge brands, but there's a, just a ton of small brands that have kind of big business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've got kind of this, uh, two, two sides of, of, of it. You don't have, uh, the, the variety stores, uh, the convenience, uh, uh, you know, kind of everything on the shelf. You've got Amazon for all of that. And then you've got these very specific brands that are, that are, uh, direct consumer, high quality, high, high value. Um, and with, you know, smaller, smaller number of SKUs. Um, and that whole middle market is just evaporating because it's, uh, you know, it was filled with companies that were, you know, the, the, the stores carrying other people's brands and that's just going to disappear except for, for Amazon. Yeah. And even the small ones, they use Amazon for their checkout and, sure, you know, so sure. they're, so they're not, they're not, you know, they're not, you know, they're not even dependent on, on being carried by the, by the big folks, you know, but those businesses are willing to be standalone businesses. Now they're, they're not just like, you know, I think about, oh, example, like, um, like Pebble. You know, Pebble Watches when that first came out, like that was just something that probably wasn't sustainable just because it was a small business trying to create a lot of volume at consumer at a consumer level. And and I think a business like that, ten years later now, could have would be much be much more equipped to just be a standalone business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I went uh, into a store here in Aspen called Beta, which is a place that just sells these individually developed. Um, innovations, hardware innovations. Um, a couple of them I were in there were ones that, that we have at our house, like a, I'm into pebble ice. I love like crunchy pebble ice, dramatically changes the beverage, but those, that's hard to, you can't find that in a, in a, in a refrigerator, but there's this company that, that builds these little, you know, two by three ice machines that are not really commercial level, but it produces commercial quality, like pebble ice. Crunchy, soft, perfect, makes lemonade into something that is way better than 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 what you could make without it. And they had those things in there, and there's, there was just this this store storefront brick and mortar place that was just selling these small label what my parents would call inventions. Yep. You know, it's and the, uh, the and sharper image of of 
this generation. Right. And they're not, they don't need to be owned by GE anymore right. to get distribution. And uh, so I think that's a, that's a super interesting trend. Um, let's, um, let's wrap up talking about South by Southwest. So I think that maybe the fourth or fifth time I ever spent any time with you was down here in Austin 10 years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. It was probably my third or fourth time down here and probably yeah. the same for you. Yeah. What, what, it, what do you, what, what's different about uh, South by Southwest now than say a decade ago from your perspective? Yeah, so this is my 14th South by. Um, I, my first year down here, um, uh, you know, music obviously is, is, has always been going on for a very long time and interactive actually has been as well. Uh, but my first South by um, interactive experience, there were about 1,800 uh, attendees or so. Um, you know, it was a very, very sideline type thing. It had been going on for years, but uh, that was that was my first experience. And I think it was uh, there's a number of folks that had been uh, been coming, but uh, you know, definitely new to a lot of people. And it was just a, occupied a little part of the convention center. You could know most everyone that you wanted to, um, and that really got big and crazy quick um so you know four or five years ago i think it hit this uh this kind of this peak of just ridiculousness with the amount of people um and brands uh you know trying to outdo each other in kind of crazy ridiculous ways um and then it very much jumped the shark i feel like the uh you know over the past few years probably the last three um maybe even longer um all that original crew decided, you know, that it was just too ridiculous, not, not enough, uh, you know, kind of authenticity. Um, and so a lot of attendance and, uh, you know, a lot of those kind of parties uh, kind of... Uh, what what year was this? I'm just kind of generalizing, five-ish like, yeah, years five-ish ago. years ago or so. Um, you know, I think it very much correlates with what's going on market-wise with any of these companies. Like, I mean, if you're not supposed to be, uh, you know, if you're supposed to be uh, uh, careful with your dollars and your spend, you can't throw crazy parties, but also outdoing it and outdoing each other. Um, you know, I think it got really big really quick. Um, and uh, even up through last year, I was kind of, you know, it was kind of a depressing year last year. Just, uh, I, I think part of part of it was the weather. I mean, it was just cold and rainy the entire week, but it also just felt really, I don't know, kind of down. Um, but this year, I feel like is uh, is a real good, you know, kind of uh, pep back up. So like, kind of on a decline for a while. But I think because a lot of people are not doing the uh, uh, at least the, I think people are just wiser to how to, how to do this, uh, thing. So, I mean, there was a kind of crazy, crazy rise plateau of just kind of shittiness. And then a, you know, at least it feels like this year is kind of back down to reality where you are able to go and hang out and find interesting, you know, conversations. Not that that has gone away, ever gone away, but, um, not the focus on just outdoing it. So I don't know. I think it's, uh, I think there's, it's, it's always a great, um, great time, always great, intre- uh, interesting conversations, great people. Um, and I think it's going to probably forever ebb and flow of, of what's, uh, you know, if it's, if it's good, bad, ugly. Um, but you know, that, that, that's on the interactive side and, and, uh, yeah, good, good, solid, good, good, solid programming again this year. My, <clears throat> my feeling is that it's, um, you know, over the, you know, the last decade, I feel like it's really, um, First of all, I think it's there's the boundaries between film, interactive, music have have 
pretty much gone away. Very true. Um, that's probably one of the biggest changes. I think that's a huge change. Uh, I think you could come at any time and get a lot of all of those things. Um, I think it's it's sort of turned into a more, you know, I think one of the things that you realize when you go to CES is, uh, you know, there's, there's the parts of CES where it's the small booth and the kind of um, small business mom and pop, here's my invent, invention on a, on a table. And then there are these huge battleships that are built by Panasonic and Samsung and tens of millions of dollars. Of yeah, boost. where they, you know, spend three weeks or a month building, um, building some massive uh, installation. And I think that's what's happening here. I mean, I'm looking at the buildings just around where we are recording right now. And, you know, these are, you know, you're looking at the brands taking over these buildings and you know there's the building next door was for the last three days was the uh, a vimeo theater that they built to show all of the vimeo original programming and release a bunch of of new films and it was a blue building with all these incredible custom painted designs related to vimeo and their releases on the outside of the building and then i woke up this morning and it's now been completely rebranded and they're building like um a completely different experience for that building and uh, and that's the activation that's happening now are just these really massive setups on the other side of the building that we're in right now is a restaurant that abc is either leasing or whatever and they're turning it into they've turned it into a place where they're launching the relaunch of the roseanne tv show so when you walk into that place, it's that entire set and they're going to be filming episodes in there and, you know, they're serving pie and having coffee and it's, it's, it's basically a studio now. And the outside of it, all the pedicabs in town, have you seen, are like little couches that are from that TV like show with crochet. the Afghan yep. <laughs> draped over the couch. And, um, but these are, these are massive stunts, you know, and they're not for, you know, they're, those are, these are million dollar um activations, activations yeah it's crazy so that's a that's something that i have like it's been blown me away you're basically going you went to tell us about you went to oh i went to actual westworld so hbo's westworld uh you know a uh, experience and the show is all about an experience where you as a tourist can go and experience the wild west and then things go haywire um i, I went to that yesterday i went to a an old ghost town that had been completely converted uh i mean probably probably a hundred actors a couple hundred guests um everyone was decked out in in cowboy hats and and they told the story and we felt like we were there it was it was so authentic and so cool and definitely the the most unique activation i've 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 ever seen here um and you know there's there's the stuff that you were just talking about too where they are literally taking over things uh converting them into you know the nike fuel uh uh, skateboard park and I mean it's it's crazy and um, yeah but but I still that, that that's kind of what, what's interesting I feel like it went so overboard a few years ago like four or five years ago with too much money going into that kind of stuff and a lot of these these ones even though yes they are ridiculous and they are full takeovers and, and things like that it's actually come down a, a little bit I, I feel like which is kind of weird to say after you just mentioned what is going into some of these the thing that I think is a little bit frustrating now is I feel that seven or eight years ago, you could really poke your head into 10 things a day. And now it's very destination based, you know, with the RSVPs and, and, sure. and the uh, lists and the, you know, I mean, I think you need a badge 
but that doesn't mean anything. Um, you know, there was a lot, you know, there were, there were lines everywhere last night. Yeah. And if you weren't on a list somewhere, I'm sure you could have found something to do, but you would have had to go to eight different activations before you could have gotten into something. Um, you know, I wanted to, I went to, uh, last night there was a release of a cycling film that I've known that's been in the making for a while and it started at 10:30, and it was out at Lamar, which is not close. And I got there at 9:30, and there was no way I was getting into that. You know, so I think that, that, that they're going to have to figure out something for that because it's more than Eventbrite. It's yeah. something more complex than that. Um, and it is hard. You know, I think, it, you know, for example, you know, tomorrow night, uh, Brandfolder is having a, um, a pretty fun setup at a, at, a, at a bar downtown. And, you know, it's been hard. You know, we have over 1,500 RSVPs. The place holds 300 people. Obviously, we'd like to have everybody, but we know that everybody there is isn't going to show up, and it's just, it's a very it's getting hard to sort of arrange things so that you can people can count on going somewhere. Um, but I mean, that's just the the attendance. I mean, it's it's all around that. Like, I mean, even if I, I I bet it's doubled even in the past what four or five years. I bet the it went from you know couple few thousand to tens of thousands and i i mean i think we're probably reaching 80 90 100 000. i don't even know like yeah. maybe it's, I, I don't know. maybe I don't it's know not either. that high but uh i mean certainly just the people who are who are in and around this place uh for for interactive uh has has grown and so yeah you can't uh you, it's, it's just hard to support experiences for that many people uh all the time yeah and you can't um the, the, the downside of the, the up the, the upside of it is that if you're going to do something, it's probably going to be pretty significant. It'll be meaningful, whatever the stunt or the experience or the activation is. The downside is, is that you're not going to be able to stay here for four days and check out 40 different things. Right. It's going to be like three or four a day. Um, and that may require uh, a lot of emailing and using your contacts and relying on your friends to get you in and that kind of stuff. So it is pretty, um, it is, it, it is pretty, uh, it's more challenging. You can't just head out for the day and just play it by ear. Right. You'll yep. end up doing that definitely nothing. Changed. Yep. Absolutely. Well, uh, this I has been good. This I has think, been uh, good. So this is our. This is this is this wraps up the catch up part. So um, next couple episodes, we'll get back in the back in the routine of of interviewing the best and brightest. As usual, if you have ideas um, about people that we should meet with uh, and interview, and that may include yourself. Um, you can always email us. You can go to turnpikers.com and all the contact information is there. Um, we're on Twitter at turnpikers is our Twitter handle. And um, what am I missing? That's it. Looking forward to, uh, to kicking off uh, their fantastic series. All right. Thanks, everybody.